to another episode of the Compound Trading Podcast. This week, we are finishing up the conversation with Sartaj, learning more about machine learning, AI, and what us as traders can do to benefit from the changing landscape that is currently going on underneath the hood of the markets. I just want to remind you that if you do find any of this interesting, you can find tons of free info on compoundtrading.com and via the Discord. Again, we will have links for you in the description. And without further ado, let's jump on in. And to add one layer deeper and something that you touched on briefly there is now we have AI and machine learning becoming even more a part of the algos. And so if we're talking, you know, I can certainly echo your sentiments on business school as someone who did go to business school and took plenty of finance classes in my finance degree. You know, we did some statistics, we did some derivatives, but that in no way prepares you for real trading first and foremost or even anything that has to do with an logarithm because if you put me behind a computer and you know to uh, tell me to develop an logarithm or even give you the basics you know i i don't have any clue based off of that traditional knowledge it's only until i actually got into the market and talked with people like yourself and actually did some investigation on my own that i kind of started to understand exactly what was going on behind the scenes so do you think that next step then is to then say, let's let's kind of leave business school by itself in that academia environment, but let's target the AI developers because that's where this is headed and that's who are better suited to actually developing proficient algos for the market? Well, I got to tell you, it's, it ha- it's going to have to be both, uh, especially in um, some of our public-facing environments. I'm talking right now with full-stack engineers who have experience in AI programming, and now with the crypto revolution, uh, they're getting into the markets, and this is their first time in the markets, but like anything, their first inclination, whether it's finance, whether they were going to be running something in genetics, uh, whether it's an e-commerce, their approach or their tool set, I think whether you're talking about AI or machine learning, or bringing any kind of traditional algo model to the markets, it's really it's a far cry unless it's an exceptionally talented or kind of well-versed fundamentals guy on top of that, uh, on top of their full-stack engineering experience. I think it's going to be necessary for them to enter into these kind of partnerships with people in your category, with actual traders, with economists, with people working in econometrics, in financial technology spaces, what have you. Uh, I, I don't think that a full-stack engineer or an AI developer alone could ever, no, let, let alone the compliance requirements, there's just way too much going on about the economy and the market specifically as a system where you can't just say, okay, make me an AI. Well, what does that look like? What am I targeting? What are my metrics? If you treat it as a computing problem, yes, you'll eventually get there, but that process of discovery of actually 
accelerating your returns on building an effective AI that understands the imperatives of a real trader and can mimic them, that's a whole other discussion. And in my mind, the way I see that happening um, is going to be through these partnerships. So yeah. what we've been talking about, and you know, as I just said, I'm, I'm still learning as I don't come from uh, a background quite like yourself, but it seems like there are some pretty big challenges and some pretty big barriers to entry if someone set out and said, okay, this is where I see this landscape shifting. I now need to develop an algo to help me trade oil or to help me trade the S&P or the ES or to help me trade gold or what, what have you. So do you, do you see these barriers to entry getting easier or getting harder? Do you think this mountain's gonna get steeper and larger to climb the longer we wait? Do you think there's gonna be more technology and more data scientists and more PhDs involved, thus making it harder the longer we wait to actually get on board with this? Well, there's some good news here and some bad news. I'll try to come up with a middle ground here. Any process of development, whether you're building a house, anything like that, but especially in the markets, you do require a high degree of dy dynamism and adaptability. Lately, for example, speaking on oil, uh, we've been seeing a lot of compression specific to the algal models. And there's always cases where you might find an observation that goes against the general rule you might have had on paper. Or let's say uh, you did a bit of research on Wikipedia or opened up a math textbook, got a model together, a couple of rules. That's all fine and good. But now you have a change in the system and all of a sudden you have to account for it. And that's the very essence of science at its core. It's, it's falsifiability. And without that dynamism, you're probably doing something incorrectly as a developer. But that's not necessarily a daily thing. There's definitely these definite market structures at work. Talking about quantitative easing, for example, which, you know, it's been almost a decade. Will that change tomorrow? I think that's where you get this kind of contention or that open question that's split between fundamentals and technician people. But what I do know is um, that we do operate under certain playbooks and the language everyone speaks probably won't change tomorrow, but it's very kind of medium term. And that process of discovery of actually staying on top of a good algo, it's one thing to learn charting, learn what ascending wedges, trend lines, support and resistance. I'll teach you on a weekend, right? That's not the terrible challenge. The challenge is in actually coming up with an effective algo. And part of that does require an ongoing process of discovery. And that's why where you get your stats from, I think 93% of traders lose. I have no doubt many of them might be good at charting or even have an intricate understanding, but even people in that category constantly have to reinvent themselves. But I, I think the good news is that uh, we are in a position now where you can surround yourself with the correct resources. I mean, we all have these, uh, we have access to social media, open chat rooms where you can talk to other developers and put yourself, especially into an environment where you're open to criticism. I've seen people get insulted because they were told their charting was wrong, for example. And none of this is personal at the end of the day. It's about making a strong foundation. But the reality is uh, making that sausage is uh, pretty hard. It is a journey. And just being aware of algos, you might get an idea of what you're competing against. Uh, but at minimum, if whether you're new to the markets or if you're not a scientist yourself, you should at least know the language you're speaking. Uh, there's definitely a certain toolkit or vocabulary you should have already getting into investing. 
uh, particularly if you want to get into something like a market data subscription or someone's newsletter service or algo model. Um, just knowing what you're buying can be a bit of a process. And there's definitely, whether it's guides out there or open resources, completely open resources, it's all available out there. Uh, and so that's kind of the positive side of the coin. Um, but I wouldn't go into this completely blind. Uh, and in light of what you had mentioned, what I am noticing is, especially with how quickly these things accelerate, uh, you're only going to see more of these PhD types coming on board. Uh, I haven't seen that trend slowing down at all, and we're not going to wait up. It's one thing for us to be in an environment, if they're even accessible, for us to share knowledge, answer questions, put each other under scrutiny, but that process of hand-holding, it was never there in the markets to begin with, and given how tough trading is, not even a result of fundamentals, geopolitics or whatever, but I'm talking about a scientist looking at their chart, they're looking at their model, they see compression, and these are very real examples. This is a problem we're facing right now. For us to spend a full work week on that and then try to be your guru or guide you through the process of putting that work together, I think that's a very far cry. Um, so if that's only going to be increasing, well, you can imagine someone who's got a track record of academic papers under their name, who came out from other types of private industry or government consulting. Can you even access them at that level? I'm not sure. Um, but again, good news. Uh, you know, we, we do have YouTube now, Wikipedia, a lot of these uh, textbooks or a lot of the lingo. You can definitely find this stuff. It's all out there. Um, but there is a barrier to entry for sure, just in terms of actually networking with people. And at minimum, I would say learn the language and learn the language very quickly. I found that um, there was no way, especially inside of that first year, uh, coming into the markets as a newcomer, uh, I had to learn that language very quickly, very quickly. And after that, uh, I... I can say that there is a certain level of smooth sailing after that, but again, very dynamic. Be prepared to um, be prepared to evolve. Yeah, and I I do kind of want to unpack that because that statement, uh, shall we call it a statement, was chock full of of good information and and quite a few I think important parts that need to be stressed. And one thing that you you did mention not in these exact words but kind of the gist that i got of that was that this trading environment that we're in not only attracts essentially the best of the best and whether that's traders or data scientists and it is kind of a dog eat dog world at the same time with algos if we you know we have a lot of people who are going to be listening to this that don't necessarily use an algo maybe they don't want to is the continued development of algos going to drive out the human trader at one point? Are we going to get to the point where we are not able to survive without being able to be proficient in coding an algo or at least understanding that landscape? Is that basically just going to rule out the technical human trader and make them obsolete at that point? There's several layers to that question. The first one is, and the general trend I'm seeing with uh, 
data-driven services like ours is we try to keep them as compact and layperson-friendly as possible. We're talking about important price levels. Uh, we're talking about geopolitics. The bottom line is very accessible. Uh, we're just changing our oil at that point. Uh, on the other side of things, then we're talking about automation, even semi-automation, where I've heard statistics like upwards 90% of the markets, and I'm talking about that giant liquidity where you're talking about central banks now, some of these large head funds like Rentech, 90% of that total rotating liquidity is all being run exclusively by machines now. And just inside of that space, now we have several different categories. One, we talk about high-frequency trading. Two, we talk about things like an AI running these platforms. And yes, now you don't really need a desk trader. Um, then it becomes a matter of, um, it becomes a real estate problem. You know, where can I get the best data center? Uh, how can I optimize my machines in the best way? But that's a computational problem rather than a trading one in my mind. Uh, on the other side of that, or even inside of that category, though, we do have what I see, even in situations where you might have completely automated solutions, uh, there's a lot of environments where you now have these trader cockpits where it's somewhat semi-automated in that, yes, you still have a desk trader, they have their charting, but now they're getting their cues from software and they're deciding whether to make that investment or trading decision based on what the machine's saying. So I, I think that's been the kind of open philosophical question, at least, as far as automation goes, is you know just how far do you take it? Yes, on one side of the spectrum, inside of 90% of the market being driven by machines, you do have it as this now a completely real estate-oriented problem. But on the other side of that, uh, or on the other side of the spectrum, at least, uh, you do see a lot of provisions like this now where we're building traders cockpits where an investment advisor there it's probably not a matter of trust but it's more of a question of how do i dance or bring something a machine can't do and how do i bring my own human decision making to the machine suggestions i think as far as retail goes that's probably closer to the reality but that being said, this is definitely a space where we could completely automate these things. And then you're talking about having a, yes, you do have some economists there who are in conversations with data scientists. But at that point, you're talking about data centers, you're talking about full stack engineers, you're talking about system administrators. And it doesn't look like much of a trading house to me at that level. So there, there's definitely a spectrum going on. And uh, just to keep it simple or kind of bottom line as far as retail is concerned, I think what you'll find is you'll see a lot of retail traders still enjoy that level of control and freedom. But uh, I think based on the fact that the machines are in the markets now, uh, you won't really have much success unless you know what frequencies those machines are trading on. And uh, hence the cockpit model where uh, you do have that level of semi-automation, but a trader at their desk, um, I don't think that's going to disappear anytime soon. Although we do have the technology to do that right now, yes. And what I hear 
you say is a bit daunting for the average retail trader and it's not only you know a matter of freedom or control but one where if we say we are going to choose full automation and we are going to go up against those rends it's gotten to the point with the full automated algos and i can echo that 90 percent figure i've heard that same figure um, right. for the uh, nyse you know, they go as far as putting their data centers and their server stations as close to the exchange as possible. Right. Because that one thousandth of a second can be all the difference for them if you're going to play in that HFT field. So right. for the average retail trader, it almost seems ideal to then say, we're not even going to try to beat them at their own game, but we are going to try to then develop an algo assistant that still has some human control because it helps us be involved and also probably builds in a layer of unpredictability that the other algos can't necessarily battle against as efficiently as they could if it was 100% AI and we and the humans had nothing to do with it. So is that not only probably the easiest way for a human to keep involved here if they want to keep trading, but probably also the most ideal if they don't have millions and billions of dollars to throw at this this problem yeah i mean you, you, there's plenty of platforms out there which definitely help you achieve this um i think learning charting is still a very effective means of applying some kind of rule set to a trading environment like that but what you'll find and whether it comes up to longer term positions or not i'm not sure but what you'll find is while these mechanisms will work on something, for example, like a one-minute chart, I think what you'll find even coming in with a degree of being able to chart correctly and coming in with a model, uh, you're still going to find a certain layer on those tighter time frames particularly where you'll kind of get a feel for how machines actually trade. Now, that shouldn't deter people from investing at all um, or even turn them off from the notion of trying because a lot of these models tend to be very effective and very stable in what a lot of traders before machines thought of as a very kind of entry-level way of trading. So your swings, your longer-term investment profiles, uh, bringing charting or algos to those kind of environments or even on your five, 30 minutes or overnight holds or such, um, there's a lot of different scenarios where having a model specifically and having an idea of where you're going to get beat by a machine, uh, having those two pieces of information already, they definitely se separate you in terms of which side of the trade you're going to be on. And oftentimes, for a lot of people I've met, just having that kind of foreknowledge was the difference in becoming winning or green traders. Um, I, I think a lot of the times, at least what I've seen uh, with people who are especially trying to get into day trading, uh, you see it all the time. I mean, they'll try to be heroes and they might not realize, okay, I'm looking at the one-minute chart or something where I'm trying to keep it tight. I'll strike it rich in a couple seconds here. Uh, they might not even realize that, well, I'm competing with HFT at that level. Whereas if they had been modeling on a longer time frame, and I'm not saying this is like, this is by no means a blanket statement 
or even a general rule. It's just to give a kind of idea of why it might be useful, um, if nothing else. But if they just had that kind of foreknowledge that there's a certain structure they're competing with, I think in light of that, learning how to model is almost a necessity at minimum, even if you're a fundamentals guy. I've seen these billion-dollar-plus hedge funds who just run on fundamentals in the past year or two. They've been getting squished on the markets. Uh, so there's a certain level where, yes, you can bring fundamentals into it, and understanding the news is great. Uh, it would be ridiculous to try to get into the markets without understanding that whole aspect. But at minimum, learning basic charting disciplines, there's great resources for that. Uh, learning what an algo is and uh, getting a feel for the fact that machines are in it. Uh, these are all very important aspects of trading for sure. And the level of it definitely does change. Uh, you look at things like um, your index funds, your S&P, your NASDAQ, uh, commodities, um, metals, and all of that. There's definitely phases where literally even knowing when the machines are turning off might give you as a human a certain edge in determining when you're going to enter and exit a trade. Um, so at minimum, I'd say understanding at least where the market's at structurally, uh, and then being able to bring some kind of charting or algorithmic disciplines to that. Um, you shouldn't go into it with the mindset by any means that, okay, well, I'm going to get squished by machines. It's senseless. I don't have enough money for it. A lot of the tools out there right now are more than fair, and the barriers to access on that side of things, um, the overheads can be very low on that. So, you know, there's still hope out there in my mind. That's a very interesting point that you brought up and you kind of ended that thought with that at this point in the curve, there are still easily accessible tools that traders, even like myself being a technical trader, we've already gone over the fact that I don't know how to develop an algo. I know how to use right. some of the AI assistant type algos, but even someone like myself who trades equities and options and some commodities can use some simple tools just to kind of know the sandbox that right. I'm playing in. Because as we just said, 90% of the trades are machine-based. And even if we know where the machines are trying to take things, and if I'm trading, maybe I'm trading you know, X right. today, and I can check out the S&P algo and see, are we up against resistance? Are they trying to take this thing up or down? What are the targets here? Obviously not 100% right. foolproof, but it is a nice assistant to give some direction so we know if we're trying to swim upstream or not, which can you know, save a lot Absolutely. of heartache and uh, save some cash in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I wanted to unpack, and we're, we're going back a little bit, you mentioned, and we actually talked about this before we uh, started recording, you mentioned the compression that we're seeing in the marketplace. And the past couple months, the past few years, really, have been uh, a great trend, and they've been uh, pretty bullish across the asset classes, uh, you know, Xing out metals and oil. Um, but they've also been a little bit choppy, and some traders are having some issues. Either their old methods aren't working, or they're trying to fight the, the trend. And one thing that continually comes up is the amount of central bank intervention, whether you see this with USDJPY manipulation, or you think you do, or you see it with VIX manipulation, or you think you do. Um, you can point to a couple different different things here. 
and you, you guys are seeing that it sounds like with range compression, which can you kind of describe what that means if someone listening doesn't really understand algos and might not know exactly what range compression means and what that means to the markets and to the trading that's taking place? Well, to give it a kind of graphical view, so a lot of this observation we made at least specific to oil it started with our flagship algorithm uh, epic which is specific to u.s oil and what we found is especially the past year we were able to reliably trade in certain ranges uncovered by that algo model just on a 30-minute chart so just kind of returning to a previous point that's what i mean by the kind of midterm reliability of these systems so, you know, the past year, we know, let's say, okay, we can trade these ranges in this confidence and the model reliably uncovers those geometries for me. And we were able to do that on a 30-minute chart, no problem. And uh, we could still say that um, our target hit rate was X percent and you could get those hits just on the 30 minutes. Now what we're finding and if you think of the markets as a kind of a slinky or a spring, uh, what's been happening is that the ranges or the uh, areas where you might see price action flowing through, those have been coming into a certain compression zone from the 30-minute down to the 15 and the 5. Now, the geometries haven't changed per se, but what's been happening is and I'm not sure if it's manipulation, especially with oil, you, you, you get all sorts of other effects. You're talking about government at that level. You are talking about central banking systems. Um, could be a reprogramming of machines. I'm not sure. We're still in the process of discovering that. But what uh, what you're getting or what's up happening is now your the ranges that you can trade in, they're equally getting compressed. And even though you might think you're on the right side of a trade or you might have seen a scenario on the 30-minute chart playing itself out or you might have made a decision on that, uh, it turns out it might be a magic trick or because of that whole kind of slinky effect, the compression or that kind of springboarding effect of price, uh, not only are your ranges kind of disappearing or they're getting a bit choppy, uh, but the speed at which you might have thought you were on the uptrend. The decision to get out of that uh, also becomes just as difficult. And all of a sudden, uh, you might find yourself in a situation where uh, if you did trust a signal or a certain observation of the chart, uh, you might be holding for a while. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. So when you describe this as a slinky or a spring, and we're talking about these trading ranges essentially compressing and going from a 30-minute chart to a 15- or a 5-minute chart, it, it makes it harder for us as traders to get reliable width, as yes. we would call it, right? So we're trying to trade from one one level to the next. We want that that width to be as big as possible because we want as much spread to po right. as possible to play. And we want, we want a range in oil to be able to trade it from... 49 half to 51 right. and to be able to make up as much of that as possible so are we then going to see that spring release at some point is this going to is this pressure going to build and build that it is then going to get even larger than we're used to or is this spring 
not as I would think of it in a logical sense, or is this level of choppiness or manipulation, whatever it might be, just going to keep a lid on things from here to the foreseeable future until some of these factors conceivably unwind, if that even ever really has to happen? Well, what I've noticed, and it would be hard for me to claim I have a crystal ball or anything, but at least what I noticed, whether you're swing trading, um, whether you're in other types of day trading situations and you do have some compression, um, particularly in these kinds of asset classes we're talking about, uh, there definitely is a release. And um, like with swing, there's definitely these kind of axioms you can talk about or sayings, you know, what goes up must come down kind of thing. Uh, so you're correct in making that kind of observation, yes. But I, I think it would be a far cry to be able to put a time and date on it whether that takes some kind of news, whether there's some other kind of catalyst, uh, maybe it's going to be some kind of decision-making that the machines are going to activate to. Uh, that's probably going to happen at some point, but I, I don't think anyone could tell you the time and date reliably. And even if they could, unless we back-tested it and unless we actually spent that time trying to discover it, uh, I really couldn't give you an answer on whether that's going to go up or down. And I don't think anyone can. Uh, there's definitely a lot of phases, even in a predictable model, like on the 30-minute, for example, where you have those compression zones. But at least back in that kind of situation, or at least what the past year has shown us, is, okay, we've, we have a compression zone now, and we know that uh, based on this confidence and based on the behavior of the chart right now, well, now it's going to go up. But if your ranges are getting tighter and you're losing a lot of the predictive power from your other kind of metrics, like uh, like you had mentioned, that I, I understand that I have a high at 51 and I had a, at a low at like 48.50 or so, uh, when you start losing that kind of range uh, or you lose the predictive power of some of your kind of traditional metrics, and you've been stuck in these kind of compression zones for a pretty long time, uh, that's when you kind of got to go back to the drawing board. Um, that being said, the general rules we use or that foundation hasn't changed much at all, but there are situations now where we're still in that process of discovery and trying to figure out exactly whether those compressions are a permanent fixture now um, or if there's going to be some kind of boom or bust, which would imply or signal some kind of structural change which completely falls outside of the bounds of the current model. Um, so that's kind of the idea or that basic notion of the evolution of these algo models. Uh, so it's hard to say, but um, all balloons burst eventually. Um, I'm not calling oil a bubble by any means, but uh, if you want to talk in terms of metaphors, you know, springs, slinkies, um, this kind of thing, then yes, eventually it'll happen. But uh, it's it's hard to say right now. I you know I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think anyone doing this kind of work does. Um, so when you have ranges like this, actually being able to predict and have some kind of confidence in saying that to the upper downside, uh, that does become a lot more difficult. The predictive power is there, uh, but given what's been happening, uh, we're still in a process of discovery. 
And that's the main kind of notion when you're in situations like this is readjusting, going back to the drawing board a bit. Sometimes it's a matter of changing a few things here or there. Uh, but eventually you'll get back to your predictive power. But it's about figuring out what's actually going on. And that's where a lot of the time investment is going to end up being. And what I suspect is it probably still, the truth is probably still in the chart. I have no doubt about that. But it's trying to figure out specifically what that new structure may look like. And then I very well could have told you, well, okay, it's going to go up now. You know, after this compression, it'll go down. And for what it's worth, we do have phases like that, which even the past couple of weeks, we have had direct target hits from these models, even on these compressed time frames. But the problem is that uh, your ability to react or respond to it, or even say with some confidence that it's going to go there into that target zone, um, it becomes a lot harder to react to that kind of model when you don't have a lot to work with. And I think that's the kind of problem that at least the oil traders I've been speaking to right now, working with our models, that's uh, the general tone of the problem they're having with the ranges that we're seeing right now. And that certainly speaks to what you mentioned before with the need for continued development with these algos because it is such a shifting landscape. But my interpretation of what I heard you say, at least, was that with these compressed ranges, obviously trading becomes tighter and tighter, and that likely plays into the algo's favor. If you know where these ranges are and you can make more trades than the average trader would if the average trader is looking at taking an oil trade off of a FIB or off of a MA or something like that, some traditional classic indicator, then these algos are going to come out even further ahead if they're able to ping pong those tight ranges. Is that kind of a correct interpretation of uh, what you were explaining? So the really interesting thing about this is that even though we've compressed down to the 5 and 15, even when we had a stable model or we could rely exclusively on the 30 minutes, what we found was that our early adopters, uh, due to the nature of their trading style, I see a lot of these people were intraday scalpers, they would still bring, even before any of this kind of compression was happening, they were still bringing that 30-minute chart down to the 5, 10, and 15. So there's definitely opportunities in there. Uh, they definitely exist. Uh, but I think the problem is that um, if it gets tighter again, or if you come to tighter and tighter time frames, eventually all of your symmetry starts breaking. And that's the kind of at least cursory level conversations we're having right now in trying to decide whether there's going to be a certain point where that level of geometry or those ranges diminish completely into that high frequency realm. Because if that happens, then the ability for even today's scalper to compete on a 30-second position, let's say, which, you know, they, they do exist for oil, but speaking just to the kind of profile of our average intraday trader on the 5 and 15, if that model starts breaking on the 5 and 15, and let's call it in a year or two, if that 5 or 15 minute time frame came down to 30 second geometries, 5 second geometries or lower, um, that means that the symmetry that a human can perceive uh, 
it would be completely diminished. And that's the worst case scenario. But best case scenario, uh, you get some kind of geopolitical event or there's some kind of important fundamental news about, um, well, it, it comes down to supply and demand curves with oil at least. Uh, if something like that happens and it corrects against the structure of that chart on oil, then the idea that you could diminish or bring down charts on time frames like the 5, 15, the 30, something a human can interact with, uh, that becomes very hard with increasing liquidity. Where HFT tends to thrive is if that chart were to completely fail, all of a sudden you're on that order of magnitude of milliseconds and seconds, you've lost all your ranges, and now you have machines fighting for micro pennies. Um, and that's where that kind of object of belief comes in, Will oil ever do that? I, I think humans are addicted to oil. So it's a far cry right now. And uh, like you had said, in, in our observation, a lot of our successful intraday scalpers haven't had any problems with these adjustments. That being said, the actual process of discovery and actually figuring out what the most predictable modes of that scalping might be or what scenarios you ought to be trading in, uh, that's very much where the uh, continual development comes in. Interesting. Well, that gives me some hope for the uh, future need for, for traders, as I've been touching on this uh, this whole conversation. Well, I want to be respectful of your time um, and uh, wrap this up. The one question that I have left for you, um, and we've kind of touched on it here and there, uh, where, where do you see markets going from here? Are we moving towards a more automated and mechanical market, um, or are we going to get to a point where AI and algos kind of have a full saturation that they cannot really get any more involved and that the physical trader, the human trader, I should say, still has a place left. Uh, where, where are we going from here with central bank in for interpretation and central bank being involved and algos being involved? Where, where are we going from here in the next one to five years in your vision? That's a whole other podcast, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, and I think we should have another Definitely. podcast. Um, but I, I think the world is becoming more and more automated. And there's a certain cloth structure I'm noticing even now with the markets uh, where, yes, your central banks, your hedge funds, your big players, the market makers, uh, even second tier network operators or full stack engineers, they're going to keep automating things. The wave of automations here to stay uh, in retail, grocery stores, uh, even shipping lanes. Uh, like in California, for example, now they platoon trucks together, which are autonomous uh, to do to run delivery routes. Uh, the world's becoming increasingly automated, and that's definitely here to stay. But as far as the actual uh, retail space goes and the future of trading, um, what I mean by cost structure is. Yes, you might see your average retail trader who decides they want to automate or semi-automate some of their trading for them. But I, I think that uh, where it's going in the next five years at least is uh, we're going to slowly enter a marketplace where an average retail trader or even like a medium to longer term investor, they're going to start coming into the marketplace with a certain vocabulary. And a lot of that's going to be about algo models. And uh, we're going to see more and more uh, retail people 
um, or the average consumer, they will be talking about models like Fibonacci. They're going to be talking about mean reversions. Uh, that's definitely here to stay. Um, as far as the bottom line, uh, we're looking at an automated future, but throughout history, whether it's uh, the advent of the cotton gin or the steam engine, uh, humans always find a way to readapt. And that doesn't give me complete loss of hope in terms of at least uh, the retail traders place in this landscape of machines and automation. Uh, a lot of that's going to come down to actually understanding these systems and what's under the hood. Um, but at the end of the day, I just don't see it as realistic for, uh, especially when it comes to money systems, to say that the retail trader is going to somehow get left behind or that they won't have access to certain implements to trade their own money. Uh, I think that's it's, it's a fairly unrealistic notion. But we should expect in the next five to ten years, um, and these are larger questions than I have any answers for, but automation as a whole is definitely here to stay and we're going to keep seeing that in the markets for sure awesome well i i definitely agree that we are going to have to touch base again and i think we covered probably about three percent of your knowledge base here and the information that you could then pass on to the people listening because i know a lot of people out there are much like myself who are traders who may have a very small amount of understanding on algos and things like that that they should have a greater understanding on, uh, but really don't know how to leverage what's coming at them for additional profits. So I, I definitely agree that we need to check in again, probably in the not so distant future. Um, but I definitely thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, spending some, some time with me this evening, and uh, I look forward to talking with you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for all the questions. Definitely pick my brain there a bit, uh, but definitely appreciate all of that. And I'm sure we'll chat Perfect. again soon. And so, uh, yeah, we will have some time. links for you. If people want to pick your brain further, where, where can they find you besides at uh, compoundtrading.com? If they're so inclined, uh, they can reach me at uh, the Discord server, uh, where you know, with a bit of notice, I'm happy to chat in real time with them. I'm also on Twitter. We'll have links below. And uh, you can always reach us at info at compoundtrading.com. But again, I'm uh, very happy to chat with interested traders or, or even curious um, people. You know, if, if you've never been in the markets or uh, you were curious about computing in general, I'm always happy to chat. Uh, definitely available on Discord. So we've got links Perfect. below. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Great. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Artaj. Bye-bye.